Have you ever felt that some Bible studies are too much? You know, they're too long, they're too deep, they're too serious, they're too theological, and yeah, maybe they're too boring. <laughs> well, we're going to try to remedy that with this podcast, the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're going to take a close look at Scripture. We're going to look at the cellular base of what God was saying through His Word. But we're not going to make it too much of anything. We're going to try to make it just right for everything. Joseph had his dream or his vision where the angel appeared to him and told him that he should not be afraid to take Mary as his wife. Uh, What did the angel mean by you do not need to be afraid? What was Joseph afraid of when it came to marrying Mary? And in that passage also, the uh, angel tells Joseph that Jesus will be known as Emmanuel, God with us. Did you know that that was the fulfillment of prophecy from Isaiah that was given 700 years before the birth of Jesus? And did you also know that in this story of Joseph um, and Jesus' birth, that Matthew gives us the genealogy of Jesus, not the human genealogy of Jesus, but the divine genealogy of Jesus. And Matthew wants us to compare the uh, human genealogy to Jesus' divine genealogy. And that's what we're going to talk about in this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. Okay, so we're in Matthew, and we're looking at starting with uh, chapter 1, verse uh, 18. And um, before I dig into that part, uh, I want to I do a couple of things here real quick. First of all, let's just, I want to just read to you verse 18. It says, and this is Matthew's description of the birth of Jesus. And Matthew says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together as husband and wife, uh, before they had any intimacy in that way, she, Mary, was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. So here is Matthew's declaration and statement of the virgin birth of Christ, that Mary was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit before she and Joseph came together as man and wife in an intimate way. So this is Matthew's statement, clear, clear statement of the virgin birth of Jesus. And what I think is so interesting about this is that this is, this this plus, when you look down at verse 22, skip down there real quick, 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So these two verses, 18 and 22, are Matthew's proclamation of the virgin birth of Jesus. And I bring that up because it's these statements are simple and straightforward, and they're just taken as truth. They're just given without a lot of ornamentation, without a lot of explanation. It's just, this is what happened. The virgin uh, gave birth to a son. Simple. Boom. Done. Over. And I point that out because uh, what I have found in my life is that the more things are true sometimes, the more simple they are. The more simple things are, the more true they are. I guess I should put it that way. The more simple they are, the more true they are. If, if this wasn't true, and if Matthew was trying to make a case for Jesus' virgin birth, Matthew would have spent a lot more time and effort in trying to prove it to you and explain it to you. But he's not, because it's true. So when, because it's true, it's just, this is what happened, this is the way it is, boom. And so one of the reasons that we can take as true that Jesus was born, uh, was a virgin born, and that Mary was a virgin, because this is something that is, and we have our time believing it, but in some places in the world today, the virgin birth is controversial, okay? Even in some churches, even in some seminaries, okay? But my point is, if this ever comes up, one of the defenses you can have to say, no, indeed, one of the reasons we know that the virgin birth is true, says they didn't spend a lot of time dwelling on it. It wasn't, it wasn't, it was just stated as a fact, true and simple. And, and it was given that way because it wasn't necessary. If it's true, it can be expressed in a simple way. When I was the pastor down at Walnut Hills, Jan and I heard a lot of stories from a lot of people who said they had need and were looking for the church to help them. And I'm sure many of them obviously did have needs, especially in that part of town. But there are always people who are looking for an easy buck, too. And the church is seen as an easy mark. It got so difficult for me because I can't tell. I, I, I have a hard time telling who's truth and who's not honest. Who's honest, who isn't. So we had an assistant pastor eventually uh, who uh, was from that area. Who had He was an African-American guy. And he kind of been through it all himself, you know. And I started saying, and he he had he could tell. He could tell, and he said, this guy, no, this is a story, and this guy really needs help. And so I would say, when people would come to us and ask for help, I'd say, you have to go talk to Milton. And if Milton says you're okay, we're going to do something. If Milton says, he's, he's like the gatekeeper, you know. But what, what we found was that the more elaborate the explanation of their need, the more proof that they had of the need they had, the less likely it was to be true. If you're hungry and you don't have any heat, you just come and say, I'm hungry and I don't have any heat. You don't need to explain anymore. But when you start explaining this and that, and blah, 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 you know. so, so this is one reason we can take as true, I think, the fact that Jesus was virgin born. Because there's no, it's just it's stated as just a simple fact, straightforward. That's what happened. Another thing I want you to see before we dive in here is in verse in chapter one of uh, Matthew we have the genealogy of Jesus. It's called, and this is the genealogy through 
Joseph. Oh, he did really? Well, I'm sure he told you, you know, you might say, well, why do we need the genealogy of Jesus through Joseph? Because Joseph wasn't his father. Oh, yeah. No, there's an answer. Because legally, legally, in the eyes of the world and culture that day, you had to be, if you were, you were descended through your father. And so even though Joseph wasn't biologically Jesus' father, he was legally Jesus', Jesus father in the eyes of the Jewish world of the day. So in order for Jesus to be the son of David, legally, he had to be descended through a father, even a stepfather, who was descended through David. Legally, it had to be that way. Because he was also married. You do have it. You, 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 have, you have Mary's lineage in Luke. So in, in Mary's, you have Luke. In Luke, you have Mary's. She also is descended from David. And, but it's important. It was important in that day from a legal standpoint, from a human standpoint, that Jesus be legally from, even though Joseph wasn't his biological father, legally he had to be descended, that had to be, that Joseph had to be descended through David. So in, in God's way of doing things, you see, it wasn't just that he had to be biologically born of a virgin through Mary, he had to legally be under Joseph's heritage and his genealogy. So uh, that's why we have Joseph's genealogy here is because you see if you see and you look at verse uh, 6 it says and Jesse was the father of King David David was the father of Solomon and so forth and then skipped up to verse 16 and Jacob the father of Joseph the husband of Mary of whom was born who is called Jesus Christ. so Matthew doesn't call Joseph the father of Jesus but he goes through all of this so that we know that legally that as Joseph was his human, earthly, legal father in the world, that he was descended from David. That was important. You couldn't have Jesus not legally descended through Joseph not coming through David's line. Legally, it had to be that way. But now we have, in starting in verse 18, the genealogy. This is, it isn't called that, but it is basically the genealogy of Jesus' actual father, God in heaven. So, and Matthew makes this clear to us, although we don't see it in the English. Matthew makes this clear to us in the Greek that he is giving us both Joseph's genealogy and this genealogy of Jesus being born a virgin from the Holy Spirit, from God, through the Holy Spirit, as he says in verse 18, because Matthew is giving us a comparison. He's giving us a comparison. He says, you know, Jesus' royal royal right to the Davidic line came through Joseph legally, but it came through God, through Mary, biologically. So one is his humanity, one is his divinity. One is legal, one is biological. And the reason we know this from the Greek, and the reason we know that what Matthew was doing here was giving us the genealogy of Joseph to compare to 
the genealogy of his virgin birth you know, through, the, through the, the, the auspices of God, through the Holy Spirit, that he wants us to compare these two and see the differences and the, to contrast them. And the reason we know this is because in verse 1 uh, of chapter 1, it says, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Then he goes on. And in verse 18, Matthew says, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. Now, interestingly, the word genealogy in verse 1 and the word birth in verse 18 are the same basic root word in Greek. The same basic root word. And basically, they can both be, it can be translated as Genesis, as the beginning, as Genesis. So you could read verse 1 saying, a record of the Genesis of Jesus Christ, the son of David, through Abraham. And in verse 18, this is how the Genesis of Jesus Christ came about. So Matthew is saying, I want you to compare the genealogy legally through human, through Joseph, and biologically divinity. So, see, God, Jesus was all man and all God. All man through Mary, legally through Joseph, and all God through the virgin birth. And here we're going to compare the two. So, ver- so chapter 1, uh, 1 through uh, 16, 17, the genealogy of Jesus through Joseph, uh, verses 18 through 25, the genealogy of Jesus through God and Mary. So I wanted you guys to see that, because I think that's a really interesting thing that you don't often hear about or talk about. So, okay. So let's go into this a minute. So this is how, verse one, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to try to get try to get us on Joseph's Joseph's thinking here. Okay, so I want you to understand and see that the last part of that verse, through the Holy Spirit, that is Matthew's commentary. That is Matthew's commentary to us to kind of fill us in on what's going on. Uh, I read one time that, or heard one time that Alfred Hitchcock said the uh, the way you define suspense in a movie is that the person watching the movie knows something that the character doesn't know, and that creates suspense because you know it and they don't, and you want them to know it but they don't, and that creates that tension. And so, in this verse of 18, Matthew is giving us something that we know that Joseph doesn't know. So Matthew is telling us through the Holy Spirit, so we know that it's a virgin birth, that Mary has not had sexual relations with any man, Joseph or otherwise. This is something we know. But what does Joseph know? Here's what Joseph knows. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. This is what Joseph knows. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child. Stop, period. That's all he knows. At that point, this is before dream. He knows this. He knows this. But he doesn't know the rest of it. Now, do you think at this point Mary has told him that this happened to her? Someone's had to tell him, right? Because 
There's a whole plan here as to what he's going to do. Well, it says, in, let's go to verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce, divorce her quietly. At this point, no Holy Spirit's talked to him. See, this is the difference between Joseph and Mary. This is the difference between Joseph and Zechariah. Zechariah was told beforehand, Elizabeth's going to be pregnant and going to have a baby, and you're going to name him John. Mary was told beforehand, Mary, you're going to become pregnant, and you're going to have a baby. He's going to be Jesus. Joseph, no one came to Joseph beforehand and said, hey, Joe, don't worry about it. Under control. No. Somehow Joseph found out Mary, his betrothed, engaged fiancé, which in that day being engaged was virtually seen as being married. Uh, you just weren't living together yet, perhaps. But she's pregnant. So one is, do you think Mary told him or someone else told him? We don't know. Since they don't tell There's no right or wrong answer there. Know, but. Since they don't tell you, I'm reading your book. And You're reading my book? And in, your, in my book, what do I say? In your book, you uh, intimate that friends of Joseph Correct. saw her. Right. And noticed her stomach was that's correct. And that and they broke the news to him. And that's possible. However, he found out he had Right. So my next question is, was he angry? Well, well. Do you think he was angry? I don't know that he was angry, but he was. He was hurt. Hurt. Maybe hurt. And this character, I mean, I can't imagine he didn't want to. The reason in my book why I put that it wasn't Mary who told him is because I'm going to read it to you here. This is an alternative possibility. Okay, so go with me here for a minute. Joseph had been head over heels in love with Mary, the young girl from his hometown of Nazareth, younger than him but mature for her age and a beauty, and a wonderful person from a loving family. Joseph had first noticed her when she walked by his carpenter shop each day, walking down to the well to fetch water for her family. She seemed to be a bit shy among her friends, moving quietly among them while most of the girls talked and talked, full of the gossip of the day. But Mary was different. She didn't engage in those conversations or giggle at the expense of others. But when the talk turned to more meaningful matters, like the plight of the poor among them, Joseph could tell how much she cared about that. Eventually, Joseph got up the nerve to wait by his door as Mary walked by, and eventually to speak to her. And as time went on, one thing led to another. He would find her at synagogue and sit next to her. He would ask to visit her at her home. And after the appropriate time, he approached her father with the big question, could he marry her? Even though her father had every right to answer the question then and there, he chose not to do so. First, he said he must ask Mary if she would want to be Joseph's wife. A few days later, when Mary's father stopped by Joseph's shop, Joseph's belly was full of butterflies. 
Then, full of joy, when he heard those words, yes, she will marry you. From that moment on, life seemed so sweet to Joseph. He started planning the wedding. He paid the, uh, her father for the, um, the wedding uh, uh, preparation. He started to prepare his home for his new wife. Started to look upon Mary with new eyes, the eyes of a husband for his wife. Everything was going great until that day, the day that seemed to bring Joseph's whole world tumbling down around him. It was the day Mary came to him privately, quietly, with something important to tell him. He could tell as soon as he saw her face that this was going to be something serious. She looked afraid, but at the same time happy, worried, but excited. Then she told him a story he could not believe about an angel who had come to her with an announcement from the Lord himself that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah. And even more incredibly, that she was pregnant even though she was a virgin. She had barely gotten the words out of her mouth before he turned and ran, before she turned and ran back to her home. Joseph couldn't run after her. He was paralyzed by the portent of her words. And to be honest, he just couldn't believe what she was saying. It was all too incredible, too ridiculous, too convenient. Joseph's mind raced with what must have really happened. Mary had been with another man, and now she was carrying his baby. Her story was just an attempt to cover it up and to save her reputation in the small town of Nazareth. How could she? Why would she? What kind of fool did she think he was? So he decided to stay away from her. It was over between them. There was no way he could marry her now. Time passed, and he heard through the grapevine that she had gone off to visit her cousin Elizabeth, the wife of Zechariah, who was herself expecting a child, even though Elizabeth was quite old. He had not been sleeping well since all of this had happened, just couldn't get it off his mind. And as he turned over in his bed that night, he expected more of the same, a restless night of tossing and turning, until he started to dream. So that's the other possibility, right, that Mary told him. The reason I didn't put that in the book, and the reason I... And I think it could have happened that way, obviously. But if she told him, and if he's still in verse 19 saying that he was going to, you know, not still, he was planning to still divorce her, even though quietly, what that means is that he didn't believe her. He didn't believe her. And I want to give Joseph more credit than that. I want to give Joseph, as a righteous man, more credit that if Mary had told him that, as crazy as it might have seemed, as outrageous as it might have seemed, I want to give the hope that he might have been able to believe her. But I think if it came from a friend or from someone else, then, you know, he hasn't heard from her directly, then he can believe it. But either way, somehow, he found out about it and he believes it to be true. So, yes. It could be up to about a year. There were three stages. There was an engagement, which was basically handled by the parents, usually. And then if both parties agreed, and sometimes it meant that the, the, the bride had to agree to it sometimes, not always, but, and if they said, okay, okay, then the betrothal started, which was virtually the same as being married, but they didn't live together and all that, but it was seen in the eyes of the public. And then there was a long preparation time. And basically that, that 
The reason that the betrothal might last so long as like a year is so they could get to know each other better. Now they're betrothed, now they're engaged, and so they have time to you know, get to know each other. And then there's the actual wedding itself. So. The reason I believe that the forum is because she would have been dishonest. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't think she... I don't think she lied to him, obviously, but I don't know that she had a direct communication with him. It doesn't say. It doesn't say how he found out. So it's all speculation. We don't know. Uh, but however it is, the fact is that he found out. And and like Jeff said, I mean, just stunned. Had to be just, I mean, this is Mary. This is the woman that he loved. This is the woman he was going to marry. This is, like I said in that story there I just read, he'd certainly been making preparations and you know, in his mind, he's already married to her, and this he loves her, and he, and then this had to hit him like a ton of bricks. And again, he's the only one in the whole story who hasn't been told ahead of time that this is going to happen. So he doesn't have the benefit yet, pre-dream, of knowing that this is part of God's plan. So I think you have to look at Joseph here as, you know, he he had other options. What are op- what other options did he have? It says here that he uh, decided to, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace and had in mind to divorce her quietly. But he could have divorced her publicly. He could have divorced her, which a lot of people did back in those days in these kinds of circumstances. He could have divorced her in a very loud, public way. And to do so in his mind at that time, pre-dream, is that she's been unfaithful to him, she's committed adultery, and the penalty of adultery in that day, stoning. So he had the right, if he had done it, and, and sometimes that's taken out of your control. If you proclaim that your wife has committed adultery, or your fiance, sometimes the authorities can just step in and make the decision to punish her so, you know, this had to be done quietly so that it doesn't get out of hand because he didn't he 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 didn't he didn't want to marry her at this point, but he didn't want her to be publicly disgraced or to be harmed in any way. Yes, but get the difference though. There's there's Joseph's mindset before the dream and Joseph's mindset after the dream. Well, you couldn't. What I think happened is, after the dream, he doesn't care. He doesn't care about the public disgrace, about him or her, because this is what God has proclaimed to be, and God has chosen Mary, and God has chosen him. And so whatever people say, people say. At that point, it doesn't matter, because we're being obedient and faithful to the Lord. So there's the pre-dream. Hey, I'm worried about it. And then there's the post-dream. I don't care anymore. Which is why God chose him. Because he, he knew that he wouldn't uh, publicly do this. He, you know. Also, uh, the time period between finding out who the dream might not have been very long. Right? Well, that's another thing we're going to talk about because, yeah, I don't know. We're going to talk about what's the ti- what, what was the timing of it all? Because that also plays a part of it, doesn't it? How long did he not know? How long was he in this situation? 
So let's go on. I want because there's some more important things. Some other more important, other important things we do. So verse 20. After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, and actually in the Greek, they always leave this out. In Matthew verse 20, it says the way it's actually written in the Greek. But after he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. What is what is Matthew saying? When he says, behold, can you believe it? But after he considered this, can you believe it? An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So let me just ask you this for a minute. When he says, Joseph, son of David, again, son of David, important. Joseph had to be son of David, important. Got to put that out there. Don't want to miss that. Uh, even even the angel makes a point of it because it had to be legal. Okay, do not be afraid now to take Mary home as your wife. What did Joseph have to be afraid of by taking Mary home as his wife? Exactly, exactly. Because if people know she's pregnant, I mean, people can do the math, right? People can do the math, huh? They got married, hmm. And she's having a baby. Hmm. Hmm. That doesn't work out right. Two and two don't make four here. No. No, you could not be with a woman that way sexually until after the marriage ceremony. Yeah. So, so, so if you're there in that day and you're thinking, okay, one of two things happened here. Either one, Joseph and Mary had sexual relations before the marriage, or two, she had relations with another man beforehand, and either of those would give a stigma to Joseph and, and Mary, to both of them. And to the child, yes. And so, you know, for for uh, Joseph, it says here, you know, that um, that it says in verse nineteen, Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Well, he's not very righteous if he, you know, had in- intimacy with his wife before they got married and she got pregnant. That's not what a righteous man does. So that hurts his reputation. Which guess what? You know what else gets hurt when you. When you're, when you're Joseph in that day doing what Joseph did, his reputation is important because not only for obvious reasons, but for maybe a reason you haven't thought about is that uh, it could hurt his reputation and that would hurt his business. That would hurt his business. So, you know, with Joseph, the stigma could hurt him personally no longer being seen and perceived as a righteous man, but also there might be people who say, "I'm not going to, I'm not going to hire that guy." Yeah, after Jesus was born, they didn't rush right back to Nazareth, did they? Yeah, yeah. Okay. The other, but, and then, but also think about Mary from Mary's standpoint. Obviously, it's a stigma for her too because she's either a harlot or worse. I don't know, but this is bad for her too, right? So. Uh, why did you, why did Joseph then even, let's go back just a second. When Joseph decided not to 
put her to public disgrace, to divorce her quietly. Why, why did Jesus? Why did why did Joseph chose not to do it publicly, not to have her stoned? What? What? Why do you think he made a different decision, Rosie? Certainly after the dream, he knew that, right? Before the dream, uh, what? He was kind-hearted, compassionate. Um, I think he... No, but, yeah, so you have some... Yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of hurt going on there, right? But he's able to... I think in the bottom line is he just loved her. He just loved her to death. And Yeah, and I think that's important to know too because we spent a lot of time saying that God chose Mary, God chose Mary, God chose Mary. Obviously he did, but also God chose Joseph. A certain kind of man that was able to deal with all of this before the dream. I wanted to read this to you. Okay, okay, let's go on. I'll read to you a sec. But so now, though, let's, now we're post dream, okay? So now Joseph has confirmation, and there's two things. There's, there's a spiritual component to this, but there's a human component to it, too, when it comes to Joseph. I want to look just for a moment for the human, the human part of it. Joseph now has confirmation from God himself, from the angel in this dream, that Mary has not been unfaithful to him. Can you imagine what a relief as a man, as a fiancé, what a relief. Oh my goodness. She had not been with another man. She had not been unfaithful. This was not anything to have to worry about anymore. It was still, there's still... Uh, you know, relationship they had was as good as it ever was, as pure as it ever was. And sometimes we lose, because of the heavy spiritual part of it, we lose track of that human part of it. This is what one of the commentators wrote about this that I read. I thought it was great. He says, his name was Lawrence Richards. He says, how fascinating that God's angel appeared to Joseph only after Joseph had discovered Mary was pregnant. God could have spared Joseph much pain by telling him beforehand, as he told Mary beforehand. But the pain served a beautiful purpose. When tested, Joseph displayed his righteous character. In that display of righteousness, Joseph teaches us. It is important to do what is morally correct. But as we do, it is just important to act with compassion and concern. So uh, it's good to know that you know Joseph was the kind of man that... He was hurt, he was upset, maybe he was angry, he was stunned, but he still did the right thing. And then when he finds out that, hey, Mary hasn't been unfaithful to him, then what a what a wonderful relief to know that their, their marital bond is still intact in that way. And yes, exactly. So, okay, so um, 
Then it goes on to say in, uh, in, verse 9, in verse 21 there, she will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so it was the father who named the babies, right? And so the, 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 uh, the angel needed Joseph to know this is the name you're to give him, Jesus. Don't call him Joseph Jr., right? Name him Jesus. Why? Because Jesus means that he will say, uh, Jesus is an offshoot of the name Joshua, which means uh, that Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. Joshua, Yahweh saves. Jesus, God saves. And he saves you from your sin. So this, so this is the first proclamation that we have from Joseph's narrative, is that uh, she will give birth to a son who name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And that means he is the Messiah. So this is the first proclamation in Joseph that we have about Jesus, is that Joseph was told that the name itself indicates who he's going to be. He's going to be he who saves, Yahweh saves. And he's going to save people not from Rome, he's going to save people from their sins. So this is a clear statement that Jesus is the Messiah. And um, so uh, this is an important thing to see and uh, something that we uh, need to keep in mind. And also, what Pam mentioned a minute ago was that this was the fulfillment of prophecy. Look at verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And this is Isaiah 7:14. And again, they leave out the behold. Behold. Now, when Isaiah says behold, what Isaiah's behold means is pay attention. So Matthew's behold says, can you believe it? But Isaiah's behold says, pay attention to this. It's important. Behold, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the second proclamation that we get from Joseph's story, that this child will be called Emmanuel because he will be God with us. He will be the Messiah. Jesus saves people from their sins, our Savior, spiritually, not militarily, not politically, not physically, but spiritually for eternity, and he will be God himself with us. Where do we see that? And where is that, where, what is Matthew referring to? And Matthew wrote his gospel to the Jews. All through Matthew, he refers to the Old Testament, the Old Testament, the Old Testament, prophecy, 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 because he's writing to the Jew. And so if you go back to uh, Isaiah 7, 14, I'm going to start with verse 10 just for a second. Let's take a few minutes to do this. Verse 10 in uh, Isaiah 7, it says, Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ahaz is the king of Judah. Uh, he is being attacked, or they're planning an attack. Uh, the king of Israel uh, has gotten together with um, another king, uh, and um, they are going to attack him. And Ahaz is worried. Ahaz is concerned. Ahaz has sent money to another king to come and help him instead of going to God for help. Uh, but Ahaz is descended from David. Ahaz is in Judah, and he's, the, and he's the king there, and he's descended from David. And God, because he's descended from David, you see, through Ahaz comes uh, Joseph. As a matter of fact, look back for a minute in Matthew. Look at verse 9 of chapter 1. Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father. So, so Ahaz has to live. 
Ahaz cannot be killed. Ahaz cannot, his line cannot be ended. And so God is going to protect Ahaz. But Ahaz has gone out to try to get some other help from some other place. And so this is God saying to Ahaz, what are you doing? And so God says in verse 10, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign. He's always saying this, you don't believe, if you don't believe I'm going to help you, ask me for any sign. And whatever it is, I'll do it to prove to you I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to protect you. You're not going to, you're not going to die. You're not going to lose this battle. And so God says, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to a test. No, when God tells you to test him, test him. That is being disobedient. He's all high and mighty. Oh, no, I want to No, that's disobedience too. Okay, verse 13. Then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be, and this was 700 years before Jesus' birth. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So that's the prophecy that comes about. And it's basically God assuring Ahaz that he will be victorious in this battle, which he was. His line will continue, which it did, because it had to, because it led to Joseph, who was then the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus. See how it all works out? And so that prophecy was fulfilled at Jesus' birth. So, okay, we're about out of time. Those are the two proclamations that came through Joseph, the fact that he will uh, be Jesus and will save his people from their sin, and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So let's just finish the story. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. I don't know, actually in the Greek it goes, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to her son. I don't know, what do you have in your translation? Her or a? a. No, it's her. In the original Greek, you see these translators, they, they, they do stupid things, you know? These translate in verse 25. They do stupid things. It's, it's a difference, isn't it? Isn't there a difference between a son and her son? Oh, the original Greek says, but he had no union with her, and so she gave birth to her son, and actually it says her firstborn son. Had no union until she gave birth to her firstborn son, and he gave him the name, not Joseph Jr., but Jesus. What's that? King James. I love the King James. The King James didn't go around changing everything. The King James tried to be true to what was actually written. And not try to change everything in the world. So I go back to the King James all the time saying, what did the King James say? Um, just one last thing to think about. Jan wanted to know about the time frame. Okay. So Mary goes to see Elizabeth, right? So we're in, so let's look at this for a minute, just for real quick. I promise I'll be finished in five more minutes. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, period. Verse 25, but he had no use with her till she, gave birth to, till she gave birth to her firstborn son. Okay, now, between verse 24 and verse 25, some time elapses, right? Some time elapses. In that time frame, she goes to see Elizabeth, okay? 
which we know from Luke's narrative about Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary goes to visit. So why did Mary go to visit Elizabeth? What? I think there were two reasons. Okay. Okay, the first one was she had heard that Elizabeth, this was a miracle. She was talking about it. But secondly, I think, and this is just my speculation, that she didn't want to remain in Nazareth while she was stuck. Three months. Three months. And it says that uh, Elizabeth went into seclusion for five months after she found that she was pregnant. And Mary goes to spend three months. Here, let me give you just a scenario, okay? This isn't in the Bible. This is just Greg's imagination, okay? I think she finds out she's pregnant. Someone lets Joseph know. Joseph doesn't believe her. She's, in a, she's t- caught between a rock and a hard place. She's going to be pregnant. Joseph isn't supporting her. She is going to have all the stigma attached to it. She hears Elizabeth is pregnant. She goes to where Elizabeth is, which, by the way, it says that uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah lived in the hill country of Judea. The hill country of Judea and Nazareth are 100 miles apart. 100 miles apart in that day is like between here and California, Okay. So she can go to the whole country. of She can be out of the public spotlight of Nazareth, out of the probing and seeing eyes. And I personally think she intended to go there and stay there and have her baby there and not have to deal with Nazareth, not have to deal with Joseph. But Joseph had the dream. And sometime in that three-month period, after three, month, after three months, at some point, Joseph sent for her or went to her and said, we're fine. The Lord appeared to me. I had a dream. We're on the same page now. And she went back to Nazareth with him because now they both were on the same page and now neither one of them cared about what everyone else thought. It didn't matter because they knew they were both obeying God the Father and doing... So I think she went there intending to be out of Nazareth, 100 miles away, stay there, have her baby there, whatever. Who knows if she was ever planning to come back to Nazareth. But... After the dream, Joseph said, I'm going to go get her because I don't care. I know now. And, and so then she's there three months. So, so if they come back to Nazareth, they have about six months to be in the public spotlight with Mary being pregnant, with people talking about him and all of that. But they don't care because they're doing what God told, told them to do. And they know this is a special baby. But... Uh, but God had a way of getting him out of town when the actual birth came, right? To get him to Bethlehem. And so he had a plan to even to do that, which was, was fantastic and wonderful. So the bottom line is, whatever was going on in Joseph's mind before, during, or after, at the very end, I think the one thing they both had to think about, this is the one thing, the one, it boils down to this, the one thing is, they had to th- as they're thinking about, they now have about six months' time, at least, to know what's going to happen. They know what's going to happen. Joseph's had his dream. Uh, the gave, angel Gabriel's appeared to Mary. They have six months now waiting for this baby to be born. And the question they have to be asking themselves is, what in the world can God do when he comes to earth and lives on? What can God do when he comes to earth in human form? Emmanuel, God, what, what is this child going to do? And I think it's a question we should still be asking ourselves this time of year, too. 
And the thing is, it's a Christmas question that has an Easter answer. A Christmas question with an Easter answer. What can God do when he comes? A lot of things, but he can die for us and save us from our sins. A Christmas question, what can God do when he comes as Emmanuel? He has an Easter answer. He can die for our sins. So. And save us from our sins, just as the, the, the right. angel promised. So. Just one point about your importance of eternal uh, lineage in the Zacharias story. What's the first thing Zacharias said when he, when he lost his, when he became unmuted? He said, we're going to call him John. Right. Right. God had the, the two times that God had a specific name that had to be applied by the Father in Joseph's case, like Zachariah. Zachariah had to know what to call him, not Zachariah Jr. And as a matter of fact, that passage says that the people were shocked that he's calling him John. Where'd John? Where'd John come from? You know, that's not a family name. So, okay, that's all I got. That concludes this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. I pray that you've learned something new about the Lord today, and He's given you some new insight into who He is and how much He loves you. Remember, the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. May in that refuge today and those everlasting arms, you find the provision that you need, the protection that you need, the power that you need, and through those, the peace that you need. Remember, he said, my peace I give you, peace be with you. Shalom.